It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. I'm your host Manu Weff and this week we're going to discuss UEFA's thinking of bringing in a third competition. Over in Russia, John Terry has arrived. I, I know one, one Spartak Moscow fan was very happy about this. Then we'll be discussing the UEFA Nations League. How did Russia and Ukraine and all of the other teams that recover in their post-Soviet space um, fare in this competition? And then we have a very special guest today to discuss the everything that's going on in Ukrainian football. So yeah, lots to discuss this week. Helping me to discuss all of this wow, is Andrew Flint all the way over from Siberia. How are you doing, Andrew? Uh, not too bad, thanks, man. Not too bad. Um, quite honestly, I'm, I'm enjoying seeing so many people apparently so confused by what I see to be a very simple fitness. But... Either way, it was successful opening weekend, as far as I'm concerned. So, can't wait to get stuck into discussing that today. Yeah, I was I was actually pretty positive about the UEFA Nations League too. And um, if you do spend about five to fifteen minutes reading through it on Wikipedia, I think it's pretty easy to understand um, the concept at least. But yeah, um, I think we, we have lots to discuss when it comes to that competition. Um, helping us to discuss it. Um, Tim, unfortunately, can't make it. I think he's sunbasking somewhere in California, posting pictures on Facebook, making us all jealous. So he's not going to be here, although he has something to say on this podcast. We'll get to that in a moment. But thankfully, um, Vadim Fomanov is back. Um, you were, we were kind of all over the place this summer. Um, and where are you right now? How is it going? Well, I'm, I'm back in Durham, North Carolina, preparing for supposedly the storm of the century. Oh, yeah, that's right. So, um, you kind of like the opposite of Tim. Exactly. Other coast and awful weather is coming. <laughs> what is it, like four or five hurricanes in a row? Uh, Category four hurricane should be hitting tomorrow night. Ooh, buckle up. Well, a good thing we didn't reschedule this podcast for today. Um, no, no alarms going to set us one off. So, boys, before we Never get... Gonna down are you <laughs> no it was a pretty funny episode i mean we don't often get smoke detectors on this podcast so <laughs> but um stay safe uh i i'm not sure what to do in a hurricane where we very seldomly get them on the west coast but uh stay safe um but I, that's the problem <laughs> so boys um this is not hurricane related at all but this was the news yesterday. We discussed this um, a little bit in the, the Football Grad chat as, chat as well. Um, UEFA is thinking of bringing in a third competition. Um, the ECA, the European Club Association, has has pretty much um, put this motion forward. It's not 100% approved, but um, as, as it looks like, it will be likely going forward, and this will be for the next cycle so the next cycle of television contracts which starts in 2021 and goes to 2024 and um a third club competition now we all remember the how it used to be right andrew it used to be the european cup uh, which is today the champions league the uefa cup which is today the europa league and the uefa cup winners cup 
Um, not sure they're bringing back the UEFA Cup Winners' Cup, so I'm not sure exactly what they're doing. It's supposed to be a competition that's underneath the Europa League. The Europa League is going to be slashed down from 48 to 32 teams, allowing this new competition to be played with 32 teams as well. Um, thoughts? Yeah, I, I'll be honest. I think it's, it just smacks of elitism to me. I mean, you know, the Cup Winners' Cup was a great tournament in my view, simply because there wasn't a load of faffing around with long-winded qualification and group stages. Now, I know that sounds critical of the Europa League, but I think there's place for one tournament like that below Champions League. Um, a third tournament with group stages and then knockouts is just too much. Cup Winners' Cup was great, though. You got really bizarre fixtures, um, but it was a chance uh, to play against some slightly lesser-known teams, but also some big teams were in there. I remember Chelsea playing mm. Trondheim, for example, um, and they were that was you know that was in the late nineties when yes you know internet still wasn't around, social media wasn't a big thing. I mean the internet wasn't around in a big way, is what I mean. Um, and then we saw pictures of the Arctic Circle and the orange ball on snow-covered fields and in a genuine European competition. Now that to me has value. This is just going to, in my view, further distance the lower ranked. European side from from ever really getting a shot at the at the bigger tournaments, the sponsorship money will be non-existent um, or very very low. Um, I don't know. I mean, that's a slightly negative take on it. Uh, I just unless it's going to be something drastically different and offer something different, I don't see the point. Yeah, but Dean, what do you think? Well, I also just teams from Western Europe, especially England. They already don't take the Europa League seriously. You know, their focus is all on their league. Are you really going to expect them to play in a third-rate competition now? I mean, what are the chances of a team like, you know, say like Burnley qualifies for this? What's more important to them, staying up in England or playing in this competition? I don't know. It seems like it could be nice for, you know, clubs in our part of the world, but I just don't see how this is going to be a successful pan-European competition. Yeah, and this is really, you, you really hit the nail on the head there, Vadim, I think. Because, let's say you saw your Luhansk, right? They got knocked out by RB Leipzig in the Europa League. I guess for them, this wouldn't, would be kind of a good place to go, um, instead of not playing European football at all. But then, Basically, it would be only those kind of category of teams that would be interested. And how is that going to generate interest all over Europe, right? Interest or money. Yeah, money. Which is, I mean, again, um, is the only reason why this would be interesting for teams like Soria Luhans, because Europa League money isn't a lot of money for even German teams, right? That have significant less resources than, than clubs from England and, um, but for a team from, let's say, Ukraine or Russia dropping into the Europa League and making that kind of money, that can be a season's budget, right? And I'm not sure if a third competition is going to generate that kind of money. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. Now, um, we were kind of <laughs> reminiscing about this a little bit, Andrew, and uh, pulling up all sorts of competitions. I personally think that the easy way to reform all of this is to um, slash the Champions League down to just champions, you know, just let the cup winners and the actual winners qualify and then have um, some of the best teams play in the Europa League. Then that would sort of put the two leagues on almost even level. As it should be, as it used to be, UEFA Cup was a fantastic competition back in the day when you had the likes of Dortmund, Juventus, Turin, Milan, and all those clubs playing it, right? Um, and then, uh, I don't know, this third competition can be for, can be what the Europa League is at the moment. Uh, or, or even better, boys, who here remembers the UEFA Intertoto Cup? Huh? <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'll see your Intertoto Cup and I'll raise you the Anglo-Italian Cup of the mid-90s. Now that, that was a proper bizarre competition. Um, oh, the Intertoto was, I mean, it, 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 it was a different name for qualifiers, but it still did give a slightly broader chance for teams to qualify. Um, I believe I'm right in saying there was even a place available, possibly it was only in England or only in some countries, but for, for fair play 
So yeah. I, I, I may have my wife's cross, but I'm pretty sure it was into Toto. Yes, now. yes, you're right. So uh, just to just really quickly, um, you're right. So the these I think the three countries with the highest fair play coefficient um, were then allowed to send a a team each to the um, UEFA Intertoto Cup. Yeah, that was it. That was it. Yeah. You know, I I have um, a lot of time for just nothing too drastic, but something that does offer. Well, like I say, I come back to the point. If it offers something different, this um, just purely on a footballing point of view, uh, just another competition isn't good enough. You've got to have a reason to do it. Um, now, like Vadim, you mentioned, of course, off the pitch, money is, of course, going to be the um, driving force behind this. And it will keep the some smaller clubs. And like you mentioned, in you know, if a Burnley, for example, qualified for a third tier competition, they're going to pay absolutely zero heed to it whatsoever. Um, but I think something, oh, I don't know, an Intertoto Cup that's slightly more important in itself. Perhaps the winners of if a third competition was replacing that Intertoto Cup, and say the winners of that would get to an advanced stage of the Europa League instead of just into the group stages to give it that added importance. I don't know, something along those lines perhaps workable. Or you could, um, you know, play the UEFA and the Total Cup over the course of the entire season because it used to be more or less a glorified summer tournament and play it over the course of an entire season. And if you have the majority teams from the region as we that we cover, right, Vadim, um, and have that winner go to the Champions League, I think that would be a huge incentive, right? Yeah, absolutely. No, that that would be an actual incentive because, you know, as I mentioned earlier, for some of these teams, avoiding relegation is financially far more important than winning a European tournament that isn't the Champions League. And I, I think that really helped the Europa League. The, absolutely. Like the, the fact that the winner goes to the Champions League, you, you see, Manchester United took it very serious, right, Andrew? And um, Arsenal took it very serious last year, and Atletico took it very serious too, because all of a sudden, uh, at the later stages, the Europa League has become a very good tournament, um, because all of a sudden you can qualify for the Champions League. That's that's big. Now, if you make the same for the whatever this new competition is going to be called, if you Again, I'm using Soria Luhansk as an example. Uh, if you Soria Luhansk in this competition and you say, okay, if we get to the later stages or maybe even win it, hey, there's a chance that, um, especially because some of the bigger teams might not take it quite as serious, that we qualify a Champions League. Now, that's an incentive right there. So, thoughts? I mean, uh, I, I mean, we have no idea what, yeah. what this is going to look like. So. <laughs> I think I think um, giving enough incentive is is really the key here. Um, just simply saying, "Well, here's your competition. You small teams battle it out, and that's it." Is, is is pointless. But if you do something like that, like you suggest, even if it's even if it really is the lower ranked sides, and they only get guaranteed Europa League football next year because of what I would argue is the success of Europa League's health in its current state, it's gaining more respect in most countries anyway. Even that is is something, um, or at least guarantee group stage football um, for Europa League. Even that is an incentive enough. So I don't know. It's um, I, I want to see slightly more details of it. If it is just simply going to be a another a, a second rate Europa League, I think in the end it's not going to be successful. But if it has enough incentive and is designed in the right way, who knows? Perhaps. Yeah, I so. I went down when, when we discussed it, I went down memory lane yesterday and, um, I saw quite a few 1860 home games, um, including a game in 2002 against Bate Borisov, um, before I actually even knew what Bate or Borisov or where it even was, um, at the Grünwalder Stadion. They played, um, <laughs> I, my dad took me to a game one summer, um, 1860 against LKS Lodge, um, from Poland and Olaf Bodden, um, legendary German striker. He scored four goals, um, all with his head, um, game ended five nil. And then they would, uh, they try, they had, they hosted, and Andrew, you will laugh. They all hosted Kamas Chalny. You remember them from Russia? Um, 
you know, Kamatz, the the team, oh, the, Mark, other, Mark. the other team from Tatarstan. Yeah, uh, they they played each other in the UEFA and the Toto Cup, um, 1996, and Kamatz beat them. Um, and it was pretty embarrassing. <laughs> because... yeah, I'll tell you why it's even more embarrassing. Chumen beat Kamatz. I can't even pronounce the name Kamatz. I'll just say Chumen beat them two years ago when they were in the third tier. So. Um, yeah, that that certainly is embarrassing, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's I, I yeah, I had to go down memory lane. Um, it's it was the UEFA and the Toto Cup. To be fair, the, our coach at the time was uh, Werner Lorand, and uh, he said something not so nice about this particular tournament. Um, even with translation, you know, it was better not to go there. But yeah, um, this was in 1996. It was the 20th of July. Played at the Stadion and the Grünwalder Stadion, uh, our own ancestral home, and we lost 1-0 to Kamas, Napershni, Chelny. Yeah, that's, those were the days, Andrew. Those were the days. But yeah, that's me, memory lane. Um, I had a lot of fun looking up all these old, uh, UEFA and the Toto Cup results and, uh, remembering these games that I went to in the summertime, uh, with my dad to, to watch these teams that, this was the time before internet. There was no Googling. <laughs> they, they rolled out the flag and that's pretty much how you learned where this team was from. Um, so yeah, very different times than today. Anyhow, guys, um, I want to move this on. Um, really curious to see where UEFA is going to take us with this, but yeah, let's, let's move this on. Um, we had one excited Russian, um, this week, Andrew, like really excited. I'm not sure I share his excitement very much. John Terry signed for, for Spartak. And before we discuss this, let's, let's hear what Tim has to say, shall we? Hello, 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 Football Draft listeners. Tim is here and I'm here to tell you about the John Terry's transfer to Spartak Moscow. This is great. Uh, I'm not on the podcast today because I'm traveling. Uh, but, uh, as I'm right now in Vancouver airport, I got the news that John Terry signed for Spartak Moscow. Uh, just a little bit to give you a backstory that, um, uh, uh, before the end of the beginning of the season in Spartak, we have four very good uh, central defenders and uh, Massimo Carrera will play most likely uh, four defenders uh, I mean two central defenders uh, for some occasions he might play three in the back but most of the time we will play two so right now we have very very good um, squad of central defenders uh, Georgi Jike uh, Kutepov who Jike is vice captain of the Spartak Moscow very promising player he missed out on the World Cup due to injury Kutepov was superstar at the World Cup uh, we bought a new player, uh, Jigo, a French uh, central defender from uh, Belgium, and he just impressed. He just became the best central defender in the league uh, so far. He really, really impressed. And um, our experienced Italian player who's been in the team for a while, Salvatore Bacchetti. So with having two players, we had a very good squad. Two Russian promising, super talented players, national team players, plus a very exciting and very talented French Gico and then experienced Salvatore Bacchetti. So everything looked great. And we even were talking between fans that, listen, like we have those two young promising players, but Gico is so good, somebody had to be on the bench. And that was the concern, like we have maybe too many players. But what happened in the last couple of weeks, Gico got uh, his ACL done. He's out for six months. And Kutepov um, also went to Italy with another surgery, which will keep him out of game for at least two months. So really, Spartak left of Gikia, uh, who just recovered from ACL, and Salvatore Bacchetti, who is experienced, but at the same time aging and not quick. So we have also Europa League games coming up, the cup games, and obviously the league. So that didn't sound very well. So the Spartak was looking for, after the window closed, for some free agents. We were looking for different options, but I guess John Terry was available. That's that's the story. Well, last week on the Football Grad episode, I said that this is absolutely impossible because I just couldn't even believe, couldn't even see John Terry, the legend of English football, regardless how you feel about him personally and the club he played. But it's a legend. It's a very significant player who won Champions League, who was captain of England. This is massive. I couldn't just believe 
player of such caliber playing in the Russian league, let alone in my club. But as of right now, it looks like this is happening. Uh, John Terry went through the medical. It looks like he will be uh, signing a contract one plus one. And the Sun reported that he will be making 1.8 million, which was kind of the offer he, uh, he got as well. From what I understand, he also got the offers of the same range, but he picked Spartak. I, I still can't believe it that John Terry only played for Spartak Moscow, but here we go. In terms of future, I have no idea what to expect. Maybe he will become the leader and the legend of the defense, and those three, Bacchetti, Gikia, and Terry, will finish the season while two other defenders just recovering, because we have quite a lot of games before the end of the season. Or, you know, who knows? Maybe, maybe he is too old and maybe he won't be able. So I don't really know what to expect because really I haven't been paying attention to the last season at Aston Villa by John Terry. But regardless, it, this is exciting. This is massive for Russian league. This is, this is a big person coming to a big club and it definitely raises additional interest into the Russian league. So let's go. Let's, let's just enjoy that. John Terry to Spartak Moscow. Great success. Yeah, great success is what he says, Andrew. Um, I think I, I tweeted out my thoughts and for everyone to see. What do you think of this transfer? Well, you know, I actually do share Tim's excitement and not in the, the way that a lot of English journalists have patronizingly said, oh, well, it's only the little Russian league. They're excited to get a big name because, yes, the name is past it. Of course it is. There's no point trying to, trying to hide from that. But actually, the more you think about it, yes, it's mad, it's John Terry. Yes, his, as a person, he's, he's a fairly ridiculous character. Um, but he has a lot of experience. He's available. He's not crazily expensive. His salary is apparently going to be about three times smaller than Claudio Marchisio's. Now, I know Marchisio is a far greater player at a less advanced stage of his career, yes. But um, in the top salaries of the Russian League, it's certainly not going to completely break the bank. Um so yeah, I'm excited to see see what will happen. It's um, a, a one plus one year contract offer is would make sense because I don't expect him to actually start the next season. Um, there actually are book, bookmakers are offering odds on John Terry not starting the first match of next season as a Spartak player. Um, they're offering four to one on for that to not happen, and I probably would go along with that. Um, playing till the age of 39 in Russia probably won't appeal to him. And he probably won't be needed by then because, like Tim mentioned, there is Samuel Zhugo who will come back. Ilya Kutupov is not a great centre-back in my opinion, as you well know, Manu, but um, he's still um, he's young enough to improve. Um, so, quality-wise, he definitely has the quality. Experience, he certainly has that. Expense certainly isn't going to break the bank. It will create a bit of extra interest. Um, the only concern I have is, is him actually... 100% signing on the dotted line because my understanding is he hasn't actually signed a contract yet but he is in Moscow today he has arrived today his visa was granted yesterday um, he's taken the medical it's all there um, I have seen a few small rumours about him perhaps haggling on the financial side of things but I don't think that's likely to be the main cause because he's not at a stage where he desperately needs that or if he did he wouldn't come to Russia he would go to the MLS where he would get a lot more, or China perhaps. So all in all, I think on balance he probably will sign, and it will be a very interesting to see how it turns out. Yeah, um, that's that's a very good summary. And um, what did I say? I, this this this. I feel like this is the the next Roberto Mancini in the making. Um, but that's just my personal opinion. I think that. Um, the dressing room at Spartak is already quite volatile. I mean, we've seen some of it last year. And then you, you throw in John Terry into that mix. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> I wonder how he, I wonder how he's, Moscow. Hmm? Oh, sorry. What do you mean? The worst moment of his career happened in Moscow. That's true. Oh, Vadim, you know, I almost forgot that. Thank you so much for bringing that up. <laughs> Because now I've got the excuse to talk about it without it sounding like it was my agenda. You're absolutely right. That is a wonderful evening to remember. Ah, oh, 2008, the pouring rain, 1.30 a.m. in Moscow, and John Terry crying on the pitch. Ah, oh, wonderful stuff. But, but he was in his shirt, and 
his pants and he had the shin guards on and his soccer boots when Chelsea won the the Champions League in Munich. Mind you, he didn't play. No, he was suspended. Yeah, exactly. But he, <laughs> remember he... Oh, oh, hold on a minute, buddy. Are you saying that John Terry has some sort of a record with indiscipline? Oh, I never have thought it. Remember when he brought out the bike to warm up uh, on the side of the pitch? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. I think Fulham actually started doing that more regularly in England in the past few years. But, oh dear, John Terry. Look, let, let's just put it this way. We know, none of us know exactly how it's going to go, but one thing is absolutely certain we can agree on. It is not going to be boring. <laughs> I'm just trying to think the reaction when John Terry rolls out like a, a bike, let's say in somewhere like, hmm, Ufa. <laughs> uh, sorry, this is, this is not very, um, professional of me, but, uh, I, I can't wait just to see the highlight reels of that. It's, it's, it's going to be comical. Um, yeah, I think my yeah. favorite John Terry moment is when he was substituted in his last match, and they made it so it would be so the ball would go out of play in the twenty sixth minute because he's number twenty six, so we could have yeah. the ovation then. And you gotta be <laughs> kidding me! That's not a real story. <laughs> no, it was all driven by him. All it was all him, and that's um, that's the negative side of him. Um, I mean, you know, okay, buddy, I'm doing a lot of gambling here in this somehow. I will see your 26th minute, and I will raise you um, his contract that he renewed with Aston Villa, or tried to renew anyway, at the end of this season, last season just finished, saying, when Aston Villa get promoted, I will not be made available to play Chelsea. And then Aston Villa failed to get promotion anyway. All about John Terry, you see. It's all about him. Uh, the John Terry podcast. This is unbelievable stuff. I mean, I didn't know that with the 26 and I didn't know that with the Chelsea contract either. I wonder what little details he has in this one. Um, <laughs> there will be some. I guarantee that. There will be John Terry clauses in there. Don't play Chelsea in the Champions League final. <laughs> so this is, this is the thing. He can't be registered for European football until the winter time, right? Cause, uh, I don't you know that. Yeah. Oh, he might still have the clause, yeah. I can't play Chelsea. Oh, they can play each other in the Europa League. So you might be onto something, Vadim. Yeah, you might. <laughs> oh, there's so many angles to this. We we really, <laughs> Vadim called this the the John Terry podcast. We really could have a, a comedy podcast for an hour just talking about all the amusing incidents of John Terry. But oh, we'll, God, we'll do that yeah. at the end of the season. Yeah, yeah, we'll do a highlight. <laughs> we have some more because there will be more. Um, yeah, fantastic stuff. I mean, uh, Vadim was just over the moon. He's been, um, you know, he even wrote an article. Uh, this, wait for this, guys. He wrote an article on his cell phone on his flight down to California. That's how excited he was. And it was a very good, good read. And it's still on footballgrad.com, so go check it out because there's one excited Russian right there. Um, talking about, you're talking about Tim, right? Ah, uh, sorry, Tim. Not Vadim. Yes, Tim. Um, yeah, he ended up writing the full article on, on the, on the plane over. Yeah. <laughs> Hilarious stuff. But guys, let's, let's move this away from, uh, me confusing names and, um, John Terry. See what, should see what this thing has done to me, Andrew. Um, already I'm like mixing up names all over the place. So, uh, uh yeah. You're, I, doing there. you're doing a Lenin Trachtenberg. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, happens but yeah the uh speaking of bizarre although i think uh andrew you're quite right um the way you 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 pointed it out um there's been a lot of fuss about this uefa nations league and um all the things it is and all the things it really isn't this uefa nations league, what did you make of it the first uh, the first the first two match days andrew well, I, I have to be honest. I thought it was an unmitigated success. It was it was fantastic. We saw um, some genuinely serious fixtures, which is and it was pitched at the right level for me because you've got some teams who played one friendly, one competitive game, which is useful because you don't want to burn out players for their clubs and then have a clubby country row. You saw some some fantastic results. I mean, of course, we'll come on to Russia's more specifically, but. 
I actually want to dip a little bit further down the structure of the Nations League. So split into the four leagues, the four tiers. Down in League D is where it, is, it was always going to be more interesting because one of these teams will be in Euro 2020. Um, and Luxembourg, I'd like to pick out, they won two games, uh, seven goals scored, none conceded, absolutely thrashed Moldova 4-0. And Moldova are not, they're not a, a pushover side. Uh, and yet Moldova are struggling next to San Marino at the bottom of that group. Um, then, of course, there's, and, and again, we'll come on to this, but Kosovo playing their first competitive game at home as Kosovo in the in their home stadium. That's a story in itself. Um, and it's just, there's a lot of hope being put into it. Um, I, I just think, it, I think it's a fantastic opening weekend. We've had a lot of stories um, but of course, we'll come into more detail on our nations if we want to put it that way. Yeah, although Moldova is part of that, right? So um, I'm, I'm glad you're bringing this up because um, on two levels, there's, there's a lot of good things happening in Luxembourg football at the moment. Uh, we, of course, we covered the uh, progress. Remember them, Andrew? You had you had the oh, you yes. had the pleasure of doing the preview, the Ufa. Um, progress and I remember when that draw happened I had to look them up because I didn't know where they were from and I thought oh this is this is with that name they're so, certainly a post-Soviet club and oh, it turned out they're from Luxembourg uh, probably the least of all uh, of all socialist countries in the European Union um, with a team name like that uh, it's a bit of an oxymoron I guess but um <laughs> It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Luxembourg were also the, the country that held France at the World Cup qualifiers to 0-0 draw. So I guess they're on the same level than Germany at the moment. Yeah, even better, you could argue. I mean, they're, they're Germany's new rivals. Um, <laughs> you know, semi-seriously, semi though. I mean, Luxembourg genuinely are a, a seriously seriously good success story because I, I believe in their starting lineup. I think there were, it's either nine of their starting lineup or nine of their squad anyway have all come through a national academy that was set up uh, around a decade ago. Um, there's there's the Thiel brothers, or Thiel brothers, I'm not mm. sure the pronunciation. Vincent is a, is a big name at 17, and his older brother, Oliver, has just signed for Ufa, having lost to Ufa yeah. in the league qualifiers. And, okay, Ufa's not a big name, but Ufa does have a track record of developing young players. It's a good stepping stone. Um, and they, they... well. These games, these games matter. Even if it wasn't for a route into the Euros, it would matter. But with that added incentive, it's um, this gives these younger nations, these smaller nations, who otherwise would have no hope in hell of ever qualifying for a tournament, a genuine incentive to develop their own talent. And I think that's probably the biggest long-term benefit. Yeah, and I, I think you're quite right that the, the playoff stage, right, um, is what they have to then win after that. Um, Someone, look at the, the top of the tables right now in that, uh, League D. So Georgia, um, leading their league, uh, Vadim, that's the country you've been to, right? In the summer. Um, they're top of their group, um, in group one, group two, Luxembourg are top of their group two, group three, Kosovo, and group four, Macedonia. One of those four countries will qualify for the, for the Euros in 2020. I mean, that those four countries at the moment would not have a crack at at the at the tournament at all if it would be through the normal uh, group stage qualification, right, Vadim? Yeah, exactly. And just to add some more about Luxembourg, apparently Luxembourg is a hot topic right now. Uh, Andrew, I think you mentioned this, but they centralized their entire training setup kind of similar similarly to what Iceland did about 15 years ago, and obviously it's paid off for Iceland. And Luxembourg actually has a bigger population than Iceland, so I see no reason why they shouldn't be the next unexpected success story. And the Nations League is just making a 
you know, the perfect environment for that to happen. Yeah, absolutely. And remember, they actually have sent, are sending a team to the Europa League as well this year, uh, in, uh, Dudelingen. Um, yeah, they'll be playing Milan. Can you, can you believe that? A team from Luxembourg playing Milan in Europe. That's sad. This gets us back to our first topic. Um, back in the days of the European Cup where it was a straight knockout, this would happen on a regular basis that the champion of Luxembourg would actually get a slot in, um, the first round of the European Cup. So, um, just saying, I mean, <laughs> maybe this is, this is a resurgence rather than, um, rather than, uh, you know, Luxembourg coming out of nowhere. But yeah, uh, enough of Luxembourg. I want to talk about some of the, the other countries that we cover. John Terry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it's John Terry and Luxembourg. Um, I want to talk about the League B. Um, because of course, Russia and Ukraine are in League B, but also, um, a country in Bosnia and they won their first two games, um, against Northern Ireland and Austria. And Bosnia, of course, uh, country that's been devastated by war, by conflict, but also with a really big talent pool. And I think it's, it's, um, really exciting seeing them because when you look at this early stage of the tournament, um, so if you finish first in your group, you actually will, uh, get promoted to League A, right? So they, um, they're looking, you know, two matches in, they only have one game left to play. Um, they're looking, sorry, they have two games left to play. They're looking very much like they're going to get, um, promoted, right, Andrew? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, Northern Ireland have had a huge resurgence in the last four or five years, um, qualifying for a major tournament for the first time since, I believe, the Spain World Cup in 1982. I may have got the date slightly wrong there, but they certainly have been a resurgence side. So, you know, to beat Northern Ireland away is, is a much tougher task than it was before. And so, you know, getting at least one of those competitive away games out of the way in a four-game group, like you mentioned, it they're going to have to work pretty hard not to qualify at this point. Um, Oceans and Northern Ireland, of course, they will have to play each other and therefore at least one of them will take points off the other. A draw in that in the first of those games would be, I think, actually, that would pretty much guarantee Bosnia going through. So um, the, the other side of this nation, which I find curious, is how teams are going to assess the importance or benefit of actually getting promoted. It depends what your country wants out of these fixtures because you're playing better teams, but you will perhaps ever so slightly sacrifice your chances of the Nations League route into the next tournament that these are used for. So, you know, at the moment, Northern Ireland and Austria are not as strong as, you know, for example, Spain and, and Czech Republic or Spain and, and, and England or even. So, it, whether Bosnia... I don't think they'll be thinking about that right now. They just want to qualify. And it gives them a greater incentive. I think Bosnia will and and should. They deserve the right to, to, to win that group. Because honestly, I think they're the best best of those three teams. Yeah. I mean, we, we chatted about that on last week, right? That um, sometimes it can it could be going forward, could be beneficial to drop down. Let's say you're Germany, you drop down into League B and then uh, you, you absolutely dominate League B and then you have a straight qualification spot, which might be easier than uh, playing a, a qualifier with 10 teams. So we'll, we'll see how, how teams use this uh, strategically. But um, moving this on, because the other two teams that we have in this league, um, one of them is Russia, and uh, they only played one um, UEFA Nations League game this during this international break and that was against Turkey and um they did really well Andrew um they won that game 2-1 they looked really good away in Turkey which is not easy um what what a success I mean ever since the World Cup this this national team seems to be just going from success to success yeah absolutely 100% and I again once again I was slightly slightly critical of some of the squad choices that uh, Stanislav Chichesov made. Um, Yuri Gazinski is a name that I've never really been thrilled by. He's a, he, I've always seen him as a bit of a, 
sort of journeyman midfielder, to be honest. And yet he was made captain for the friendly, and he also played a, a lovely through ball for Artem Zuba to to score the what turned out to be the winner. Um, and much more importantly, though, I mean Zuba stepping up as captain while um, Igor Akinfeev was having knee surgery in Germany was a good move because I believe you need to feed the ego of a player like Zuba. Uh, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all, but he led the line well. And at the back, with Roman Neustadter, who's not really had the smoothest ride since um, since declaring for Germ- uh, for Russia, sorry, um, alongside Andrei Semenyov, certainly not Russia's first choice uh, centre-back partnership, they, they coped well. They looked organised. They knew what their jobs were. And... They, the slide just, they look like a good side. And, and I'm not get, we're not getting carried away. It is, yes, Turkey away is tricky, but it, it is only Turkey. They're not as good as they were 10, 15 years ago when they got to was it the World Cup quarterfinals, I think it was, in Japan, South Korea. Um, so it, it, it is still a solid result. They're looking positive. There's, there's goals in the side. It's a new squad um, without Akinfeyev. It was only, I think, Zuba was the most capped player with only 28 caps. And he's now on a goal a game, goal every other game, sorry, for, for Russia, firing an all cylinders for Zanit. Um, yeah, a, a brilliant start to the campaign for Russia. Probably the trickiest fixture out of the way, three points in the bag. And they're looking very strong to possibly, and I whisper this quietly, guys, possibly beat Ukraine in the playoffs. Oh, yeah. we'll, get, we'll get to that topic in a moment um, because that is, that is a tricky one. Um, but I think the positives that we can take away from this is before, I think before the World Cup, we would have looked at this and said, okay, oh, this is a tricky group for Russia. Um, and they would not go get anything out of this. And all of a sudden the World Cup and they, you know, they go, they go all the way to the, um, quarterfinals. Um, it's a completely different discussion. Uh, it's interesting how, it's kind of all changed around thanks to the World Cup. I um, want to mention too before we move over to Ukraine, five-one against the Czech Republic, um, absolutely trashed them in a friendly. Yes, it was only a friendly, um, but still, that's that's a that's a massive result um, without Artem Suba, right? As was Sabolotny who played instead, mm. um, getting a bucket load of goals. Yonov scoring two, Roching scoring uh, scoring one, and uh, Dmitry Polo scoring one. Um, it, it was a rude, um, fantastic, fantastic game for Russia. But yeah, I want to move this over to, um, Yuba Demon in Ukraine. And, uh, for Ukraine, this was, this was a fantastic start as well. You have won two out of two. Um, the first game against the Czech Republic, 2-1. Um, <laughs> which ties, of course, in the, the, the Russia result. But yeah, it's looking very good for Ukraine, doesn't it, at this early stage? It- it is. It was a it was a fantastic beginning, and Russia thrashed Czech Republic as you said five one. And even though Ukraine only won by one goal, and it was a very lucky goal at the very end, Ukraine were dominant and honestly deserved to win by more. And it was probably the best performance of the national team under Shevchenko so far. It was just very. I was very pleasantly surprised watching it. I didn't expect to watch a Ukraine national team match and actually legitimately enjoy myself. And that is what happened. Uh, and the game against Slovakia, uh, maybe not quite as dominant, but I think Slovakia is fair to say right now is a stronger team than the Czech Republic. And playing them at home, Slovakia sat back more. And still, Ukraine were the better side, and I think deservedly got the three points, even if the penalty was a little bit questionable. But I think the biggest takeaway from these two matches is the fact that Ukraine's two traditionally best players, you know, Konoplyanka and Yarmolinka, uh, both were very much not on form. Mm. Uh, traditionally, you can say, you know, you can shut down those two wingers and, and you basically shut down all of Ukraine. And you can't really say that anymore. And I think uh, Marlos and Malinovsky were the two standout players. So, yeah, things are moving in the right direction, I think. Yeah, you, you mentioned the game against Slovakia. Um, that was, of course, played in, in behind closed doors, right? And I always feel that games that take place behind closed doors, um, the fire is missing, right? Did you, did you get the sense in this game, um, um, that they, that that really was the big difference? Because 
yes, it was only a 1-0 win and, and you said, yeah, a little bit lucky because of the penalty. But I mean, in games like that, you basically just take the three points and be happy with it, right? Well, yeah, of course. And especially because this game is, was played in Lviv, which is, you know, where the, the, the best support, all, you know, you players say it all the time that they prefer playing in Lviv than anywhere else. But what is really the difference when it's behind closed doors? And it's not like Ukraine has anyone to blame for this. It's, it's the same thing that happens all the time. And this, this goes back to something a few years ago. It's the last, uh, UEFA qualifier Ukraine played against Spain. And there was a banner with a Celtic cross on it, which, you know, is obviously a neo-Nazi symbol and is banned. So if you're a supporter and you bring that into the stadium, you know what's going to happen. It's not like this is some arbitrary rule that UEFA imposes selectively on countries. You do this, you get a stadium ban. It's that simple. Well, especially if you're already on the radar, right? I mean, this yeah. is, this is a Ukraine is a repeat offender. Um, and that's why UEFA came down on them. Um, there's, there's a few countries like that, that are on the list. And yeah, I was asked before, um, when we, when we did the preview on this game, why is this game played behind closed doors? This is an incident that dates back to 2015, November 2015. And it's because, uh, World Cup qualifiers are seen as a different competition, right, Vadim? Um, so that, that's why we'd. Hmm? So this is UEFA disqualification. Yeah. Uh, UEFA hosts the FIFA uh, the World Cup qualifiers. So they're, they run by UEFA, but they only host them. So they can't, um, impose sanctions. Um, so FIFA is in charge of sanctions for FIFA, for World Cup qualifiers, even though they're run by UEFA. I, I know that <laughs> it makes very little sense, but that's how it works. Um, so yeah, that's why, I mean, this is now three years ago. That's why the ban carried over, um, three years later almost. So, um, Right. Bizarre rule, but that's how it is, right? Yeah, uh, something very notable about the Czech Republic match. Uh, there were no Dynamo Kiev players in the starting lineup. And the last time something like that happened was back in 2008 against Sweden. And that was a friendly. And the last time this happened in a competitive match, and this is not my own research. I got this from, from a TV show where they did the research for me. It was in 1994. For a competitive match, a qualifier against Lithuania, and the only reason there were no Dynamo players on that side is because there was a conflict between Jozef Saba, who was the Dynamo manager, and Basilevich, the Ukraine manager, and Dynamo were preparing for Champions League, and he refused to let the players play for the national team. So, as far as I'm aware, this might be the first time in the history of Ukraine that there were no Dynamo players in the starting eleven for a competitive match, which is, you know, insane. That Dynamo has sunk to this level. Yeah, that is, you know, it's bizarre. I, although we have to add, Sihankov came on, right? She did, and and he he's the he against Slovakia two minutes in, he's the one that won the penalty that eventually was the decider. So, and he's you know he's one of Ukraine's most talented young players, but still, and it's the fact that you know with Shevchenko as the manager, you can't accuse him of having an anti-Dynamo bias. No, he's a legend. Yeah. So the fact that he doesn't see it, there was against Slovakia, Burda did come on from Kripsov as a center back, but you know, still one, one out of 11 players, you know, there's more from Shakhtar, there's more from, even from, from Belgian teams. I would, and then I guess this can tie into what we'll, we'll be discussing about Dynamo's problems, but this is just indicative of that, I think. Although it is interesting that the Ukraine, and I, I want to tie, before we talk about Dynamo, I want to tie this into a topic that we do need to discuss about this UEFA Nations League, because it could happen. Um, unlike Russia, Ukraine have a lot of players abroad. Yeah. This, I find this, this really interesting. I mean, the big money transfer, of course, this summer was Andrei Lunin, the, the very talented Soria keeper going from Soria Luhansk to Real Madrid. He's currently, yeah. On loan, right at Liganes. Mm -hmm. Um, but when, when you look, um, at this Ukraine side, there's nine players that play abroad. Um, you know, I have to, I have to go scroll back to the Russian team, but I think there's only one or two at the moment in Russia. And during the World Cup, there was only one who played, um, didn't earn his money in Russia. It's, it's really interesting how that's so different, isn't it, Vadim? 
It is, and honestly, considering the state of the Ukrainian Premier League right now and how low the level of competition is, I, I really think it's for the best. And, you know, well, Zinchenko is obviously playing at Manchester City, uh, and he also came on as a substitute in both matches and also did really well. Uh, Yerimchuk from Ghent in Belgium had his first two caps at striker and didn't score and actually missed a few very good chances against the Czech Republic. But still, he looked like, you know, he was at least getting in good positions and getting involved in the build-up play. So, you know, now Lunin going to Spain, I think the more Ukraine players move abroad, if not necessarily, you know, maybe the top sides, and also move at a younger age than Yermolenko and Konoplyanka, that would only be good for the national team. Because honestly, I think I don't know if anything's going to happen with Yermolenko at West Ham. People, there's already rumors that he's going to come back to Dinamo and... I don't really know what to think about that. Yeah, yeah. I think Dortmund were quite happy that they were able to recuperate pretty much the entire losses when they when they sold uh, Yamolenko. It just didn't work out at all. I think. I mean, we said this at the time that he maybe moved a little bit too late. Um, but Vadim, <laughs> the elephant in the room, Russia and Ukraine are first of their respective leagues. What's what's UEFA going to do if they play each other? Uh, who? I I knew this was a possibility. I didn't really expect you to ask me that question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to ask the, Andrew the very same question because we need to discuss this. This this is all of a sudden. I mean, we've they've been um they've been sort of dodging that bullet ever since the conflict started, right? It, we came close prior that, that we remember when uh, Sinit and Yepper were on the way or to the Europa League final and Sinit got eliminated early on and there were discussions where going to where are they going to host that Europa League final but well, it was in Warsaw which is probably the yeah. worst place outside of Ukraine and Russia exactly so there were talks about moving it in case Sinit make that final right um but what are they going to do if those two teams meet Right, because they will have to, they will have to determine it's going to be, uh, they're determining where the matches are going to play, take place in December. This is, this, um, this is going to be highly charged. I, I mean, what is UEFA going to decide? It's, it's a really interesting topic. And I think it's, 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 it, there's a really high possibility now that this could happen. So uh, I'm, just, I'm just curious. I mean, Andrew, what do you think? How is UEFA going to solve this quagmire? <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a loaded question, isn't it, on many levels. Personally, I can't see them, I can't see them allowing it to go, go ahead as it would normally be. Um, I'm assuming, is it, is it home and away is the playoffs? Is it, oh, no, 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 hold on a minute, hold on. No, no, it's a one-off, it's neutral it ground. Be, it would be on neutral ground, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, I don't know, perhaps they would make it behind closed doors uh, because both teams would have the same disadvantage if you want to call it that just to avoid uh you know involvement of large numbers of fans from both teams um i don't i don't know as far as as possible maybe lisbon or something i I think i think wherever the the league b uh playoffs would be it would have to yes somewhere awkward to get to far away and possibly even just ensure it's behind closed doors but um there's not really a lot else they can do because now they've set up this system. They can't just simply ban Russia and Ukraine from the playoffs. So both have to... I mean, we're talking, obviously, hypothetically, if they both do get through. Um, but if they are one of the four teams that have earned that right, they have to be there. And if they are there, they can't really sort of just make them play in a completely different place. But maybe they will just ensure that uh, no fans can travel. That's about the only thing I think they can do. You think they're going to make the draw so that they... They play in two separate semifinals and then just hope for the best. <laughs> that sounds like something like that. That actually sounds very realistic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, try to dodge the bullet one more time. <laughs> to, to be to be fair, that actually I don't think a lot of people would complain if they did simply say, "Look, this is exceptional circumstances. We are going to." Well, and then on the other hand, like you say, they are only dodging the bullet. Then if it gets to the final, what are they supposed to say then? Yeah. Um, they, you know, in the end, they, they are going to have to play each other at some point simply because they are not entirely dissimilar level teams and 
that's just the nature of competitive football. Like you, you can't just simply force them apart forever. Um, but I suppose, uh, yeah, like I say, close stadiums and then stage it as far away as possible from um, from from both from both countries. I mean, it's been five years now, Vadim, and they have managed for five years. Uh, there was a couple of times where it got close, but uh, for five years now, um, that matchup has been avoided. Any Ukrainian and Russian teams playing each other. I mean, they're not the only example in Europe. You know, there's lots of other countries that do not get along that get well, what uh, separated. Well, Armenia and Azerbaijan are separated. Yeah. And Spain and Gibraltar, I think, which is a very heated conflict. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, one that they stopped separating is Croatia and Serbia. So I guess it will be like that. And with that, with those games, I think they, they even just play them in their respective countries. So. Well, they also didn't separate Serbia, Albania. And you remember what yeah. happened last time those two played each other. So, I mean, this is, this is a very realistic scenario in a lot of ways. So we'll see what happens with that. I guess when the, when the time comes, we can discuss this in great depth. Now, um, we want to also discuss Dynamo Kiev. And, um, it's interesting that we're, t that the, the line of thought that we're going down with this, because the, the talk very much now is that this club is struggling, right? Um, but when you look at it, the way they started the season, it looked so good. I mean, they beat Shakhtar Donetsk in, in the, the Classico. Um, but it's since then, it's the, the wheels have kind of come off, didn't make the Champions League again. Um, but Dean, talk us through this. Well, I don't, I don't know if the wheels ever were on to begin with. Uh, weirdly enough, outside of the, the cup final, which I guess is the most important match, Dinamo have actually had a pretty good record against Shakhtar recently. Uh, Hatskevich seems to have figured out how to how to beat Shakhtar in the league. Um, you know, they've it's now been two seasons since Shakhtar have managed to to get three points against Dinamo, which is really different from what it was before that. Even even in in Rebrov's second season when Dinamo did win the league, they lost three 0 to Shakhtar twice. So Shakhtar, you know, even even in seasons where Dinamo has won, Shakhtar usually had Dinamo's number. Now it's the exact opposite. But if that's all that Dinamo is accomplishing is, you know, getting those victories for pride against Shakhtar and is doing terribly everywhere else, it doesn't really make a difference at the end of the season. And both in the Super Cup and in the league fixture earlier, really Dinamo won because of errors by uh, by Piata, the goalkeeper. Who actually made an error against uh, against the Czech Republic as well? So, I mean, if you look at the stats, Dynamo Kiev scored five goals in the league, and we're talking six matches in. And Junior Moraes, who is the Brazilian striker that controversially moved from from Dynamo to Shakhtar this summer, he already has seven goals scored. So Dynamo just lost two 0 at home to Karpaty for the first, and that's the first time they lost to Karpaty in Kiev since 1997. And after that match is when Hatskevich had his now kind of notorious press conference where he seemed to say that, oh, I've already decided to leave and, you know, the president will decide my future and basically went back and forth on whether or not he was staying. And now it turns out that it does look like he is staying, which I, I think is kind of an untenable situation. Yeah, I feel like we've been here before in some ways, like uh, last year. Um, I mean, when you look at the, the, the table now, Schachter... <clears throat> Are first and uh, have five points, but one game more, right? Ahead yeah. of uh, of Dynamo Kiev, and, and you're quite right that um, Dynamo has Shakhtar's number, but it doesn't matter because Shakhtar win all the other games. They simply don't lose yeah. against Kapati or um, Arsenal. Draw. Kiev. Yeah, exactly, and and this this thing with Hatskevich is that i you know i understand if Surkis doesn't doesn't want to make a change right now maybe wait until the winter or something but when the manager himself says that obviously is not confident in his own position and isn't certain that he wants to continue i think especially during an international break where you ha kind of have that window if there's a time to replace a manager that doesn't want to be there i think that's it and now he's just held on for too long and it's I, I can't see Dynamo challenging Shakhtar seriously for the title 
over the long term. You know, if Dinamo played Shakhtar four more times and that was it, then maybe. But that's not how the season is. And, you know, it's I, I think we've talked about this maybe three or four times already, but Verni Dub, the Zarya manager, he kind of also had his moment after the defeat against Red Bull in the Europa League where he seems to suggest that he was also leaving. But for him, it's kind of different circumstances because he's been very successful and it's been widely reported that he wants the Dinamo job. But now it seems like both managers are staying where they are. Maybe that was the the the, the final line, you know, that uh, Verne Dupe hasn't hasn't left and uh, just isn't available at the moment for Dinamo. I, I don't know. Verne Dupe doesn't have any ties to Dinamo, and and Surkis is obsessed with managers that have uh, you know yeah. the Dinamo. So if you don't have the heart, then you yeah means you you can't manage the side, and that's obviously worked very well historically. Well, I worked with Reprov, um, but that's about it. Now, I mean, when, <laughs> yeah, Reprov was the best manager that Dinamo's had in recent years. Yeah, definitely. I mean, two, two league titles. Before we close this up, we need to talk about Shakhtar Donetsk because, um, for a long time, they didn't sign anyone and then they sold, um, Fred, right? Making 42 million euros, a lot of money. They had an excellent transfer campaign and, um, finally, finally signed a, Bunch of new players, uh, Machino Cipriano from uh, Sao Paulo, Fernando from Palmeiras, uh, Mike Horn from Corinthians, ah, a bunch of new Brazilians, just, just like, just like how I like it. Um, bit, bit of a rebuild, but I mean, in the past, Schachter Dunez have always done well identifying these young Brazilians, bringing them over to Ukraine, playing fantastic football, especially in the Champions League and the Europa League. Is this, this is, this is, I mean, this is only a question of time until the site is going to click again, um, even internationally. And I mean, Fonseca staying, that was fantastic news for the club over the summer, wasn't it? Yeah, stability. Uh, obviously, Shakhtar know how to, how to recruit Brazilians and integrate them into the side. A few hiccups in the, in the league against Dinamo, you know, it maybe hurts the pride a little bit, but in the long term, you know, Shakhtar is still the, the club to beat in Ukraine and the only one. So like Dinamo didn't qualify for the Champions League and, you know, it's obviously disappointing, but to be perfectly realistic, Dinamo is not a Champions League quality side. The money would have been nice, but mm. they wouldn't have done anything and likely would have just crashed out and in fourth place. And now they have an opportunity to make a run in the Europa League at least. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, that's, that's going to be an interesting one. Of course, Europa League kicks off next week, um, for, for Dinamo, um, against Astana. Um, thoughts on that, Vadim? I, well, I, I would hope that Dinamo are the favorites in that match. So is that, is that home or away, by the way? That's at home. So that's at home. Okay. not a long flight for this one. Right. So. Yeah, I mean, if if Hatskevich can't even navigate his way out of this Europa League group, then I I don't even know what. And if he stays after that, then I I don't know who Surkis is is waiting for, or if he just doesn't want to spend any money on any manager and is just waiting for whoever's next on the list of of former players with Dynamo Hearts. <laughs> there there are some candidates like Shovkovsky. Yeah. You know, he's uh he's on the training staff of the national team now. Uh. Yeah, uh, it's just it's it's looking at the Ukraine national team for the you know the the Nations League match, matches. I was actually optimistic for the first time in a while, but I can't say the same for domestically for Dynamo. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair enough. I think that's probably going to be uh, Shakhtar Donetsk winning the league. They are in the Champions League, of course, Group F. Um, they're facing Hoffenheim, so we have a football grad derby in this one. Of course, um, we're going to have. The Champions League previews, um, typing them currently up to all the groups involving teams from the Football Grad Network, um, are being previewed. So yeah, um, boys, that's it. We're out of time. Great to having both of you on. Vadim, where can people find you? Uh, still just on, on Football Grad occasionally and the Twitter handle is at vfermanov. Fantastic stuff. Yeah. Go give him a follow. He really knows his Ukrainian football. Andrew, how about you? What have you been up to? Where can people find you? 
Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Andrew M-I-J Flint. And, yep, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting stuck into the Champions League campaign. A lot of games around, and I'll hopefully get to report on some some on-the-ground match reports for Football Grad. Um, the ones that stand out for me are Real Madrid coming to play in Moscow. So looking forward to that immensely. Poor soul, having to go to Moscow to watch Real Madrid. Yeah, I know somebody's got to do it, really. Yeah, someone has to do it. Yeah, um, Andrew mentioned it. So at the Champions League previews, uh, as I said, some of them are up already. And then uh, um, we're going to do match-by-match -match, uh, previews. I got it. Andrew, you will be doing the Russian clubs, as always. Um, yep. Yep. Uh, I'll, I'll be taking care of the Ukrainian clubs and uh, some of the Bundesliga sites. And, you know, all of that will be at Football Grad Live. You can follow me at Manuel well, thank you once again for listening. We'll be back next week. Until then, das Vedanya. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.